0: Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. In today's episode, I chat with iOS developer Tim Mickle. We speak about building Apple Watch apps, working with Apple's Natural Language Processing Framework and how he went from being a professional cyclist, racing against the likes of Bradley Wiggins, no less, to start a career as a professional app developer. Now, on to the show. <laughs> ah, one question before I officially start, though, is how do I pronounce your
1: surname? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> people normally just just attend. So just Mikkel, with, without the, it's like I wouldn't have a J. So some people say Mikkel J, so it's just a silent J, basically, Mikkel.
0: Okay, cool. Because some of them I've done so far and I forget to ask. And then when it comes to like recording introduction, I'm like, I don't know if I'm saying it right. So no, no, no. Mikkel. Okay, perfect. So I guess to get started, this is something that's pretty interesting. So I was looking for your LinkedIn and I noticed that before you were an iOS developer, you were a, this is a quote, a high performance coach. And then talking to you earlier, you mentioned that you were a professional cyclist before this as well. So firstly, the professional cyclists, what level are we talking? Because I know nothing about professional cycling except for you know Tour de France. So what, what are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, so the, I was cycling since I was very young. Uh, I, I started when I was about 13 and then I was just kind of progressing to the ranks. And then eventually in a few years time, I made it into a Slovenian national team. Uh, so that was so it's kind of racing world cup and stuff like that i've i've, I've raced a few races alongside uh brad Livingston, you probably recognize that name so
0: so we're talking really serious professional racing
1: yeah it was kind of a 24-7 job i would say <laughs> okay
0: that's amazing i would have had no idea so how how comes you you stopped doing that and where did the high performance coach come in
1: Um, so it was kind of, it was a really interesting point in my life. I was, I was still very young when I was thinking about like 20 and I was thinking where, where do I want to see my life in the next, I don't know, five, 10 years, what do I want to do? And then also like being away from home a lot and away from family and, and traveling a lot and, and kind of having this potential for injuries and not being able to continue doing what I really love doing. Um, which was cycling um, that kind of uh, it made me consider like what what do I want to do so th- then I just kind of I said you know what I'm gonna I'm young right now I have a chance to go ex- explore the world and try to figure out something for myself so I just decided to leave it I kind of left it on the high for myself so my last race was World Championship, but my team actually won it, which is a really, really nice experience. I was a part of that team. Uh, that was in Italy. Um, so th- that was back in 2013, and and then kind of like the natural thing that I wanted. To, I had an idea of what I want to try next. I didn't know what what I want to do, kind of thing, right? I just want to explore a few things. Um, so that was. So the natural thing came to me was coaching. So I started like coaching some some of my friends. I just asked them, would you like me to to give you some um, kind of mindset coaching for, for these races that are coming up? And a few of them signed up and they say, okay, let's do this thing. Um, and then, yeah, that was, that was quite fun to do. So we just done kind of like progressive muscle relaxation and, and visual visualization and stuff, those kind of basic meditative stuff. Um, and, and kind of, yeah, that was, that was quite interesting. But then it, uh, I wanted to take that to like a good level because I felt like, oh, okay, maybe I can do this. Um, so that's, that's when I came to the UK. Um, and then, yeah, I was just kind of doing a lot of public speaking events and then trying to get the word out and, and get the clients. And I got a bunch of clients all over the world. Mainly m- most of the work I've done was for free. I haven't made much money from it and then eventually i realized that's not really me it's not i it didn't feel like um i i fit into that world i didn't feel like i fit into being a coach um so yeah that that's when i continued exploring like what what's the thing i want to do and then i tried I just had a bunch of different jobs like Anything from sales, technical support, recruitment, i even done all the stuff like that. So I have a lot of empathy for all the recruiters. <laughs> <reaching out now. laughs> um, so um, yeah, and then eventually I just I just thought, oh, maybe I should start programming. Like, I, I worked in recruitment at the time actually, and I thought I, I was actually extremely bad at it. I was working there about four months, and I couldn't get a job for one person. I couldn't get a job for them, right? <laughs> As a recruiter, and I was like, "All right, so how can I? How can I help those people, right?" And then I was thinking, "Oh, maybe." And then at that time, I was kind of dabbling with the idea. Maybe I should. I was kind of looking into programming. Then I started to learn a little bit. I was like, "Maybe I can build an app for them that makes a CV." So, and then I made that app, put it on the app store.
0: So this is this is the job. Is it job hunter? This is the job Jobhunter app, right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So you made this while you were a recruiter?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I was kind of selling it to my candidates. I'm like, if I can't get your job, just download this app. It will help you make your CV. <laughs> so it had like a little. You press, you press a button, and it shows you some tips on what to write in each section. So um, yeah, and I've seen a lot of CVs when I was recruiting there. Um, but yeah, so that was that was the first kind of little step into it, and then after that. I thought, I'm actually really enjoying this. It really occupies my mind, my brain. I, I really have to focus on it and kind of, it's very overwhelming at the times. Uh, but yeah, but I really started enjoying it and it all went from there, really. So what was it that drew you to
0: programming then? from like, Was it just like, how, how, what was the thought that was, I'm a recruiter, I'm deciding I'm going to go and learn how to build an app?
1: It was kind of... I, I was naturally looking for something that I can be good at, obviously, because you, you, you cannot be good straight off the bat with, with programming. You have to practice a lot and learn a lot. Uh, but I felt like it, it came quite naturally to me. And I, I kind of think in blocks and kind of I, I feel like I have a bit of an engineering mind and also when I was really younger I was when I was really younger I was always very technical so I was putting radios apart and computers apart and trying to figure out how this whole thing works Um, so yeah it's kind of from that like having that technical aspect and so many elements and actually building something from nothing like that idea I really I really really like that and really connected to that so that's that's when I thought, okay, I really need to give it a good go, and I want to, I want to make a career out of this.
0: So you built one app, and now I like, I know that you've built how, how many apps in total have you built for yourself?
1: I don't know, probably more than ten, something like. That.
0: And you have on the app store now. You have how many that people could still go and look at?
1: I got three. So two for for iPhone. One of them works on the iPad as well, and another one is an um, standalone Apple Watch app. As the the latest one.
0: So what was the inspiration? So for example, the, the job hunter app, that's very clear why you decided to go that route and then you've got a, you've got a cycling app. I noticed you've got an augmented reality app, which I definitely want to dig into a little bit, but kind of what was the inspiration for those and how comes you decided to build your own apps rather than just, you know, working for someone.
1: So I guess initially the thought was, I want to learn as much as I can. And the way I learn is by building something, by actually not just like reading a book and writing a few lines of code. I need to have yeah. like a project or an app in mind that I can build and, and get to completion. That's when I felt like I learned something. Um, so th- that was kind of initially, but then at the same time, I, I, I was trying to... All of these apps are mainly... <laughs> like my learning projects and you can see like the progression through them and the way they look and behave and the kind of functionality they have, the kind of progress. Um, but I just, I wanted to explore different APIs. So the first one is just like basic layout and, and spitting out a PDF. The second one was uh, used uh, location manager. The third one used Kit. Now the latest one is working a lot with Kit. So it's kind of like they're all very different. And that, that's kind of my goal with them to always when I build something new, I want to delve into a new API that I haven't explored before. This is quite cool.
0: So are they more portfolio projects?
1: Yeah, they're mainly at this stage. Obviously, there's always like this thing at the back of my mind, like it'd be great if they go somewhere, but I haven't actively done much towards that. Um, so mainly my, my focus just to get as much code and as much practice in as possible and, and really like really push on that. I don't want, I didn't want to get too distracted and doing too much marketing and and this, this stuff like that. So they're
0: purely just things that interest you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. they, They really are. So the latest app that I built for Apple watch is basically something that I'm missing, like on other platforms would. So I use Strava a lot when I go on my bike and then, but one thing I miss in Strava, it doesn't, I have to look on my watch while I'm riding my bike. And I feel like that's quite unsafe, right? And especially if you're going downhill. So what I've done is I just build in like a little uh, speech feedback. Um, So you can set it how often it gives you feedback and tells you stats in your ears. I just have my AirPod in and I go, and I don't have to look at my watch. So, just kind of this, that kind of like a, quite a simple solution, I would say. Um, and, and doing that, and also learning a new API that I haven't been doing before. So, it's kind of, yeah, it all goes hand in hand, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. What's, what's the name of that specific app?
1: Uh, it's called Triad. It's like triathlon without lung. You can do running, cycling, and swimming. The swimming functionality, I haven't focused much on that, but running and cycling are pretty cool. So you can construct custom intervals on the app and it will loop through them. So you can actually do a custom proper interval workout. So you can actually train with it. And it syncs with, with health kits. So it's pretty cool.
0: All right, very nice. Um, so the other question I wanted to ask about your apps was, so you have an augmented reality app. How difficult or easy was it to get started with that?
1: To be honest, that's that's probably the, the one of the apps that has the least code that I've written. It's it's actually pretty simple to create something quite straightforward, right? It's, it just kind of, I, I think, like building apps, and especially like working in a full-time job, it, we're kind of used to working a lot in a 2D way, whereas in AR, you have to think a bit more 3D, and you have like... A, three planes to play with and then then you need to recognize like what the surroundings are. So it's basically it's quite simple. Like the, the AR ARKit API, I think when when I built that it was ARKit one or two, so it is still quite early. Um, but yeah, you just basically scan scan your surroundings, create like recognize a, a flat plane and based on that flat plane you set your geometry and how the the object will be positioned in in the room or in the space and and it just stays there it, it just the 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 framework does majority of the heavy lifting for you so it's really not hard so you kind of you you recognize that and then in order so i made a, well, my app is pocket planets so it's basically showing you all the planets from our solar system in ar so you can I mean, you can, you, you can only choose them individually, but it's basically just a ball, like a, a figure of a ball wrapped in an image. So the, yeah, it's, it's really like a really simple concept, but it was quite interesting to build it and kind of try to think in, in that sort of way. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I've never done anything 3d. I think I only think in 2d space when I'm trying to build an app. And then the fact that you just said the word ge- geometry in my head, it's like, oh my God, it's so complicated. But it, it sounds like if it does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, then that's that's something that could be pretty easy for people to get started with.
1: Yeah, I guess when you want to make something really cost- custom and more complicated like some fancy animations that I can imagine will yeah. become uh, quite difficult quickly. But uh, yeah, as with everything, I think it's quite easy to start.
0: Okay, nice. So another question that I missed or that I had was... How different is it building an app for a watch as opposed to building an app for a phone?
1: to be honest it's it's that that was a part of the experiment when I'm building the app so uh, so I'm using um, uh, this architecture called Clean Swift, which basically is basically similar to Viper um, so it, it, the data flow goes in a circle and what i'm what I'm just building just now is the The phone, so iPhone counterpart for the same app, trying to reuse as much code as possible. So it's basically, um, it's quite easy to build it in a way that you only have to swap the view layer um, and just kind of plug it in. And especially, yeah, if you if you can if you use any kind of decent pattern, I would say, or MVM would work with that pretty well as well, I guess. uh, but yeah, you just swap the view layer, but like the whole logic behind it can be completely like can be exactly the same. It's only the only difference, I guess. I would say is obviously because the watch has a lot of sensors, right? So so you, it can recognize your heart rate and stuff like that. So especially because it's a workout-based app uh, on an iPhone, you would have to check if if the person has like a Bluetooth-connected strap or they don't have anything, um, so it's, yeah, you're a little bit more limited with that. So I guess uh, to work with HealthKit, um, like and Health API, it's it's very it's very straightforward on the watch. It was just quite difficult initially to deploy it because that was one of my. Um, so it's only last year, uh, ww nineteen, that Apple announced you can build independent. Apple Watch apps, whereas before you needed to have like a buddy uh, iPhone app. And and I, this was the first time when a new platform was announced that, that since I was programming on, on Apple, that I thought, okay, I want to be there on the first day. So I, I kind of released that in the first few days after Apple WatchOS became an independent platform. Um, it was quite difficult to find some, some docs on that and some answers on how to actually publish it. Cause yeah, I followed everything that Apple said, but then they were rejecting it. And I was like, why, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, then I figured out it was just some configuration stuff. So it was quite straightforward. Um, okay. So
0: that's pretty cool. So you would have been one of the first Apple watch apps that's purely on the watch.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So uh, a question just to look back to the transition from being a recruiter to being a developer, how much do you think it helped that you had your own apps? Because, so for example, you you were a recruiter. I assume you learned from you know YouTube or Google or you know that kind of stuff to teach yourself. So you didn't have any you know quote unquote formal education. So how difficult did you find it getting your first role as a developer? And do you feel like those portfolio apps that you built helped you do that?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So it's it's, it's not that I went straight from recruitment to. Um, my first job I've done like a little technical support role for o2 for about a year, so just kind of like I, I sold it in a way like I'm in tech but I really want to start coding um, at <laughs> all the interviews so and'm I'm, I'm doing all this stuff on the side but yeah I feel like for me personally having and not having a computer science background having own portfolio apps was vital to getting my first proper job and yeah just I think and whoever like asks me now and then comes to me like oh I, I really want to get into iOS and doing this and this now it's like build a few apps put them on the app store everyone's going to want you there's because to be honest uh, there's not many developers out there we all know that have their own apps and you say like you, you stand out immediately just by having that um, and and it just shows general enthusiasm for it, I guess. And you, you learn so much through it. Um, and I guess, yeah. It's, and the only really really hard thing to learn is how to adopt good practices because Apple is renowned for not promoting very good practices in terms of decoupling <laughs> just putting everything in a view controller and <laughs> having everything coupled yeah. uh, so it's and that's the hard bit to learn i guess and and that's that's what makes a senior eventually i would say by kind of progressing through that and kind of learning all these bits
0: you set me up for a good segue here which is i wanted to talk about the article that you'd written on medium three things that make a professional programmer Maybe you want to just kind of give a brief overview of that. And I guess if there's any thoughts, any other thoughts that you'd want to add to that for people that haven't read it.
1: Yeah. That was a while ago. I read that. I actually made some notes for that because I, I went back to it. <laughs> um, so what did I have? So first one, yeah. First one was to, to take on feedback. I, I feel like the, this point just became emphasized since I've written that, like it makes total sense. So I think as a professional programmer, you really need to learn to take feedback and ask for feedback because that's like, it's literally the the most efficient and the quickest way to learn. In my opinion, Um, like doing PRs and not, not shying away from like including as many people as possible from your team into that PR so they can all like, i there was a few times i've done that i'm like just throw it at me whatever you got please just give it to me so i can learn something from it and uh it's i feel like doing that really helped me to to learn and adopt good practices because it's it's much easier to sometimes to look at somebody else's code and say oh this could be better this could be better but once you've building a feature and you're really in it and you know all the moving parts and you try to keep that at the forefront of your mind and build that thing then sometimes you miss something but kind of developing that being able to think on the go and and writing clean code as you go i think that's that's what takes a bit of practice and i think taking on feedback really helps with that um, so that will definitely be first, first point. And then like anyone I ever spoke to refactoring is a constant, I guess. Like when you look at your, like three month old code, I was like, what the hell have I written here?"
0: <laughs> it's always garbage. Everything you wrote in the past is just, it's exactly. just the worst. Yeah. I,
1: I, I actually came to, to that point that I don't want to look at some of my old apps that I've written because I ju- I just feel embarrassed. <laughs> and it's, it's that's probably a little bit extreme, and just kidding, really. But um, I think because you kind of your your code base improves with you, I guess as you go along. Yeah, the, the third point was code when you don't feel like it. I guess that's one one of the bits that I definitely brought forward from that I learned in sport. It's like if you want to be good at something the The times when you really start mastering something if when you do it, there are the times when you when you also don't feel like it, you know like just kind of drawing a parallel with with when I was cycling, there were so many times I just didn't want to go on my bike, like everything hurt me from the day before or I was just really tired, but I knew that if I go on my bike now that's where I'll make a difference, and that's why I'll make up and catch up to the other guys or become better at some points as well. Um, so I, and I think it's exactly the same with programming. So it was for the first couple of years when I was learning, um, there was about, I don't know, 80% of the time I didn't feel like it because it was too challenging. And I was like, how do I wrap my head around this? But I was just pushing myself to do it and, and kind of, because I knew that this is either going to be um, kind of, long and gnarly or short and a bit more stingy. So, and I would prefer that short and stingy and really go into it and, and, and try to try to really take on as much as possible quickly. And for me, I I find it very rewarding. So you almost get it. It's kind of, it's a a kind of a stoic way of thinking about general, generally about life, I guess Um, just like when you don't feel like doing something and, and, you go down low and you don't you really really don't feel like and you feel like oh this is crap and i'm not saying that you should do that all the time but then, then you also get that high on the other end and feel like wow this is absolutely brilliant and sometimes you know this 10 minutes every week you get when you feel like a mozart writing code you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> i could totally relate to that because especially with my own apps you know when you come back to it after a year because you have to update it and you look at the code and it's like oh this is horrible i don't want to do it but you 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 have to kind of power through and especially when it comes to going back to old code because you can't it's really hard to be build features and code that you feel is bad so you have to get past that hump of i need to redo this or i need to do something i really don't want to do so that i can get to the point that i can now build on it so yeah, i could yeah i could totally relate to that point So firstly, how comes you decided to start writing medium articles? I guess is a good question because I do the same, but I'm really interested to know what your reason for that is. It's
1: kind of two reasons. So, and one of them is sometimes I, I felt like I was rushing through things too much. It's about that process that you have to go through, like really understanding something before you can explain it to someone else. I feel like you you have to have that extra bit of understanding about that thing that you're talking about about that API or a bit of code or something, um, yeah. And you just don't get that by not writing. It kind of forces you to really think it through. Um, so I guess, I guess that does does one. And second one was I just wanted to get my my profile up a little bit as a part of it. But that was more. It was more like a consequence rather than a goal um so but but yeah it definitely it definitely comes into it because it definitely helps to to have something on your cv that you've written a few articles and yeah it's it's always useful to show
0: yeah i i I think i've read or i've heard this is not an exact quote but essentially the pinnacle of your understanding is how well you can explain things to other people because when you can explain it to someone else then you've got it so being able to write about it yeah it's definitely a good one so you wrote an article about machine learning recently. If I, if I understood this right, cause I read it, I've read it, but I want to make sure that I remember it right. Which was, it was a to-do app and you know, you write down, you know, I need to get some bananas today and then using the, the Apple natural language framework, it would then grab a picture of bananas.
1: Yeah, that that's, that's right. So it's, it's quite a simple idea. And I was just trying to explore, like, w- what could you do like in a really, Easy way with natural language framework. I just kind of dabbled with it for a little bit, and then I said, "Okay, like, how do you take your good old boring to-do app and make it a bit more interesting, a bit more kind of feel a bit more intuitive?" I guess, I guess that's that's the right word because that that's what AI helps you to do, right? And so basically, what it does, it. It scans so that's all. It uses on-device processing, right? The the framework it doesn't post anything to the servers, which is pretty cool. Um, so, so it scans the text that you input as your to-do item, and then it finds any verbs and nouns, and then I use that as a search term in um, I use the Pixabay API and just download the first few images and choose a random one so you set up the framework
0: to say scan this text for verbs or nouns and then it gives you back i assume some sort of list that says these are all the verbs that i think were in this sentence and then you take that and you go to pixabay and say go and get me pictures of these
1: yeah so let's say you, you put in a to-do item buy bananas right so you you got bananas in there it throws you that that keyword out i use that as a search term and download an image, or you put in an item. Go running, so you got a verb running there. And I, I use that, and I download picture of running. So, and and I put it next to it. So it's kind of like a very like. It only takes maybe like oh, less than a hundred lines of code. The whole thing, I would say, um, but I, I think it's 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 quite a lightweight and easy way to to classify, to kind of and understand the language the user is using. I guess you could use that in, in, in other ways, like, cause you can, you can give it, a, you can give it, a, get a sentiment score from a text. That's a really interesting one. What would be an example of that? A sentiment score is basically how positive or negative a string is. So it just evaluates it. So let's say you say you write something positive. I'm really happy today. That'd be a one. I must say, I'm, a, um, um I'm really angry at someone that would be a minus one. So it's on, the, on between minus one and a one. It gives you like kind of a number out. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Most of the time it actually gets it right. And uh, yeah, I guess the, I don't know. You can use some real uh, world use case example. Let's say you're, good old messaging app right you could do some on-device processing your your friend is writing something to you so let's say you have a one-to-one conversation in a messaging app and they write three messages in a row that were quite positive let's say they were celebrating something, something good happened you could just throw some confetti in the app right just or or i don't know if, if they write something that that makes them feel down or they're struggling with something you could recognize that the the sentiment score at that time is quite low. You could show them some hearts or something. So it's quite a like a nice little way to to improve an app. And I guess there, there are many other ways in which you can use that. But it's, it's almost like introducing empathy to the apps. That that's how I see it. Is
0: is there any is there any other um, not not use cases? I don't know what the terms would be. But you could have like nouns, or you could have verbs, or you could have sentiment. Is there any other types that it gives you?
1: Yeah, there, there's a bunch of other things. You can recognize the language that something's being written in. I think it supports about more than 10 languages, definitely. I don't know many other ones from the top of my head, but there's a few other things that it can recognize, yeah.
0: All right, going off in my head right now is I have an app that reads like WhatsApp messages and stuff to you and lets you voice reply. And one of the biggest requests for features I get is to be able to reply in different languages. So that could be yeah. I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna Google that after this
1: and see. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So last last few questions. So one one that I like to ask everyone is what machine do you use to work from?
1: I just use um I, I have it provided from because i work for a bank for a Tesco bank just now, and uh, I use the one they give me. So just a thirteen inch MacBook Pro. I thought you were gonna say Windows. I was gonna say oh no. No, I mean. <laughs> There is a way to run Xcode on Windows, isn't it? But it's very, it's very difficult. So it kind of, it's a good excuse, right? To to have a Mac. (laughs) Uh, And um, yeah, I just, yeah, I love a Mac. And I have a little setup at home now, just working from home. So nothing too special. Just an extra monitor, keyboard and mouse, and that's about it.
0: So you've kind of touched on this already with your, you know, traits that you think a professional developer should have. But... So a question that I like to ask everyone is what do they think separates a okay developer from a good developer or a great developer even? You've touched on a bunch of points that could fall in there and I was wondering if you think, because you could have a professional bad developer and you could also have a professional, you know, really good developer. So what do you think separates a okay developer from a great developer?
1: Oh, this is the one I, I heard from like a lot from other people and I kind of see it myself like you can have people who are very smart but not very business savvy and I think that's that's quite important and it's often neglected you kind of have to understand that we're, we're not writing code just for the fun of it and try to make it all nice and modular just for the fun of it you need to kind of see that bigger picture so like these are the business needs. This is how the business can request this to happen. And those are all eventualities. And, and that's why we try to write code in a way we write this. It. So it's a lot of times in the community, you see, yeah, it's really nice to decouple and solid principles, but there's uh, a kind of missing the point. And why, why are we actually doing this? Like it, it's it's all good and fun to write good and clean code, but why are we actually doing it? And I think also connecting it on, on a kind of day-to-day basis with, with the stakeholders or whoever you're working with in a team or even yourself. Um, it's Yeah, it's exact same. And then also, I think another one is constant learning. Just, it's never-ending. Like, I try to spend, I don't know, I would say a few days a week, at least an hour or two um, to to learn something new and or to to practice something, um, yeah, and and then I guess general enthusiasm for it as well, because it's I, I guess yeah if you if you don't have that enthusiasm and and the real love for it, the the whole industry moves forward so quickly that, I would imagine I don't know I I, I really have I really really love it I, I always say that. Um, and that's why it's not hard for me to keep up. But I've seen people who just don't enjoy it that much. They just do it for their job. And there's something struggling to keep up with all the changes. It makes sense. Um, so I, I think that really, it, it makes you kind of at the forefront if you're really enthusiastic about it kind of naturally.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And the, the business savvy, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely something that I would say is is pretty maybe rare a lot of people you know they don't seem to realize that somebody's not paying you to write clean code they're paying you to build this one thing how you go and do it is up to you but you know if you've got three weeks to do it then you can't come back and say well it took me three weeks to set up the framework because that does not that does not fly
1: yeah exactly I totally agree <laughs>
0: all right awesome so that's all the the questions from me so where would you like people to find you or where can i direct people to after this episode
1: um yeah the probably best on linkedin um so yeah i have a kind of semi up-to-date profile on linkedin um yeah just my first name last name uh i think it's only one to Mikkel in the world which is pretty cool <laughs> as well <laughs> um so yeah yeah feel free to give me i'd love to Big
0: thanks to today's guest, Tim Mickle. You can find him on LinkedIn and you can read the articles we discuss in this podcast on Medium. You can also find his personal apps for the iPhone and Apple Watch on the App Store. As always, you can find everything we talked about in this episode in the show notes. If you like the show, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It's much appreciated. And if you really like the show, you can support it with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash coffee Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with like-minded developers, you can do so in our Facebook community. And finally, you can follow me on your favorite social media platform at Low lowcarbrob. You can find all the links to everything I've just said in the show notes or at coffeeencodingpod.com. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.